reading today from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. So if you have a Bible or a device with the Bible on it, turn to that passage. We're going to read a fair amount of it. And uh, in fact, in the reading of it, I want to encourage how we read even through the scriptures that sometimes it's good to put ourselves into it. This is actually not my natural go-to to get real emotional when I read. Like you can read things in the Bible, read about the resurrection. And here's angels saying, he's not here for he is risen. And I could read it just like that. And the angel said, he's not here for he is risen. And then we just read on. And like you miss the whole moment. Like, no, they're like, he's not here for he is risen. Like, what? Are you kidding me? What, how did that happen? You know, there's a different way to read it. And Kathy usually tries to inspire me to put more emotion into the reading of things because I've watched her read things and tell stories to kids. And it's, it's really actually very entertaining to observe that. So I want to practice my wife's guidance today and let's try to get into get into it get into the story get into the characters of it it actually adds meaning when we catch the emotion of what's happening this is one of those emotional stories so let's see what we could do with it acts chapter 16 and verse verse uh, verse 16 Paul and Silas remember the history of Paul he was persecuting Christians. He was a Roman soldier. He was doing evil things. He was actually killing Christian people who had become followers of Jesus when he had the Damascus Road experience where Jesus appears to him and he has an amazing radical turnaround. He goes into the study of who Jesus is and comes out of that with a new name, changed from Saul to Paul. He becomes the leading apostle of the New Testament days, writing to us most of the letters of the New Testament church. Some of those letters written from Roman prisons, like we're going to find himself in here in a minute. So this is Paul and his buddy Silas, and they're sharing the gospel where they're going. They're on a missionary journey, very, very positively explaining who Jesus is. They're not being... Uh, they're not being ugly about it. They're being very winsome about their testimony. And yet the enemy is ugly and comes against them in some interesting ways. So here we are. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So this is a setup of the story. Here's a woman. She's a slave owned by people. Beyond that, she has an evil spirit. There's always, in any generation, in ours, there are people who have evil intentions and use evil spirits, fortune tellers, people like that. You can find evil anywhere. They're in our city. You can feel spirits even in some establishments where people who have that kind of spirit are carrying it. So here's this woman. She has a spirit of divination. It's an evil spirit. She followed Paul and us crying out. Here's what she's doing. They're telling people about Jesus in a very pleasant, positive way. And she becomes a huge distraction. She's yelling this. 
These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she just keeps yelling this. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, if I say that three or four times, you're going to get annoyed just by hearing that. And these, this, this she kept doing for many days, it says. She kept doing this for many days. Think about that. Here's some guys going around in the town telling people kindly about Jesus. And there's a woman with a bad spirit following them all over for several days, doing the same thing over and over. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She's actually saying a true thing, but she's not saying it in a true manner. She's not trying to help them. She's trying to cause them trouble, and they're getting annoyed. This she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, who wouldn't? I could annoy you in about 30 seconds. She was doing this for days. And finally, he'd had enough. He'd been trying to just put up with it. What do you do? You're not trying to create a scene. She's creating a scene. He's not trying to add to the scene. He's just trying to tell people about Jesus. It is the right thing to do. Now, he can't handle this annoyance after several days. He turned and said to the spirit, said to the spirit, catch that, this woman has this bad spirit. He's actually not against this woman. He's against this evil spirit that's trying to cause disruption to the sharing of the good news. So he's even, in that sense, parsing out what the problem is. He's been trying to be kind to this woman for days. Finally, like, I've had it. Done with that. And he says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. I'm believing that he said it forcefully, strongly, so that everybody around could hear. Because it happened, and it came out that very hour. The spirit came out of that woman. She stopped yelling. Peace, like, thank God. That annoyance went away. And we don't even see any more about this woman. The sense of it would be that she'd be free of that evil spirit and able to even potentially become a part of the following after Jesus when she has awareness of what's gone on in her life. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, we need to understand what the owners were doing. They were using the evil spirit in her where she was doing divination. She would do fortune telling. She would do who knows what kind of miracles in the evil powers of the, of the enemy. Satan has powers. He does some Creepy things, supernatural things. These owners were getting money. People would pay to have this woman with the evil spirit tell them their future. And they pay for that. They're still doing that today. Nothing much different today than that day. Now their fortune is disappearing. She doesn't have that power anymore. And they don't have the power over her at this point. So they got mad and they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. There's rulers of the day. They're going to accuse Paul and Silas of some kind of crime. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, 
These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Simply talking about Jesus, in the Roman rule, they were supposed to worship the emperor. Now there are people in the city that are leaning into this beautiful truth about who Jesus is. And so these rulers of the day feel like they're losing their power and everything gets weird when it's politics. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. There's like judge and jury all in this moment in the market square. They ripped their clothes off them and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They're ordered, the jailer is ordered to keep them safely because there's still a trial coming for the crime that they've been accused of. They already got flogged and beaten. They're bruised and bloodied, thrown into a dank and dark Roman prison put in their feet into stocks, and here's not a good day. All these things are going sideways. Think about that being you. You're trying to just help people. You're trying to be kind to a woman possessed of the devil. Now that spirit's gone, peace comes, but now the people who are gaining wealth from that woman's evil powers are upset. They're having political problems, the people of the day. They throw these two well-meaning people into prison, beat them. What if that's you? Things are not going as planned, and we're just trying to honor God, trying to do the right thing. Why is this happening? You would think that they could get an attitude. You would think they might wonder what their true mission is. Like, if this is what it's about, do I want to keep doing this? What did they do? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here they are in a prison, and there's many others there as well. In this Roman prison, it's like a cave. We actually went into one when we were in Rome. We had a group we took to Israel. We had about three days, we stopped off in Rome, saw the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican, the Sistine Chapel, some amazing historic sites. But we also went into what would have been an ancient Roman prison. It goes down in a cave like in the ground. You go down this ladder into rock where it's damp and cold and dark. It's a creepy feeling. We get down there with a flashlight, read passages where Paul wrote from this place of Trial, it's like an echo chamber inside of this Roman prison. And what are they doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. That gives you the idea that it wasn't like singing softly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Please don't let anybody hear me. We've already got lots of problems. No, you don't get that feeling. You get the feeling like 
They've already been such a bad day and they're hurting and this is not a good thing going on and they just begin to sing their hearts out to God. More like, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That was a bad note. Like me. That was a sharp, sorry, Jimmy. Like me. And you, and you, and you, and you. They're singing their hearts out to God and all the prisoners are listening. How am I doing? It's all good. It's not my normal thing, so I don't know. You know, we're outside of my boundaries here. So they're singing their hearts out to God and the prisoners are listening. And then what? And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaking. We just sang a song a little bit ago about how the earth will shake when we're praising the name of Jesus. Sing, just the earth cries out. The rocks will cry out in praise to God. When we will cry out in praise to God, if we don't, the rocks will. But sometimes even when we do, the rocks will join us. Why not? Let's have some things happen where suddenly things begin to shake when we cry out ourselves in great praise unto God. He wants to do some great things. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is wild. The prison doors fly open. Everybody in prison, all their shackles fall off. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he was sleeping in the night. It's midnight. Now with the earthquake, certainly it wakes him up and he sees that the doors are open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. In Roman rule, the prisoner, the, the jailer, like he's responsible for the prisoners. If they're gone in the morning, he's dead. So he's like, I'm not going to go through what they're going to put me through. I'll take care of it myself. He didn't even wait to see. He didn't even realize they hadn't left. He supposed that, look, if the doors open and the shackles fall off, don't you think all the prisoners are gone? They're like, out of here. How crazy. The prisoners, not just Paul and Silas, but the rest of them stayed. You got to know something's going on here. Like, they're like... We could go now, but I think I'm going to stick around and see what's next. Their song was amazing. The earthquake was amazing. The doors opened up. It's quite amazing. I'm not leaving. This is too good of a thing. I'm going to hang out and see what's going next. But Paul cries with a loud voice to the jailer. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. He's like, what? Seriously? Paul and Silas are looking around. Nobody's leaving. And he tells them, you're, you're good. Don't worry about it. We're still here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's what happens when we're in a bad place and we begin to just worship. God does his thing. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's not that when one is saved, everyone else automatically is, but when one in a household comes to faith, it's very powerful on the, those that are in the house. And it was obvious that they were going to also understand 
Jesus was real and they would come to know him too. It was like a prophetic word. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. The jailer who gave them their wounds now washes their wounds with water. And then he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He uses water to wash their wounds. And then he goes into the water to wash his sins that his faith had now made him whole and the baptism is a testimony of old is gone, new is come. And then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. He's saying, you can leave now. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned. They didn't even give them a proper trial. Men who are Roman citizens. They didn't know Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They thought they were Jews because they were talking about Jesus, king of the Jews. They didn't even test it out. Roman citizens, they unlawfully punished Roman citizens and they realize now we made a mistake and have thrown us into prison and, they, and do they now throw us out secretly? Paul says, no, let them come themselves and take us out. He's like, let's just let the testimony build. They put us in here. We're not just going to slip out. Let's do this publicly. Let's all go together. You want to let me out? Let's let's have a little parade so that other people can know that there's more to the story. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They knew they did the wrong thing. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They had more missions work to do. Here's our takeaways today. Worship centers us. It is the beginning of everything else in God. Worship was the beginning of miracle after miracle after miracle. Worship was also the response to a terrible, terrible circumstance. Why do we worship when we come into this house for our church services? It's actually a value and a principle that when we worship first, it centers us. We do this practically. We do this with principle because if we can get our worship right, now our hearts are centered. We can hear what God wants to say. My prayer is... I study, I I work at this, but I'm also saying, God, please help me say what you want. Like, this is your word, not mine. You're the teacher, you're the spirit. Teach me, but teach others. Let the spirit, sometimes people say, hey, I liked what you said about this. And I'm like, I didn't say that. It's a beautiful testimony that the Holy Spirit's teaching you. I do my best, but he does better. So as we center ourselves in worship, we open ourselves up to hear the Spirit. And you'll hear him speak to you clearly when you center yourself into worship. Everything else in God follows. They'd been beaten. They were hurting. And they worshiped. 
It's crazy. When I get in bad places, I'm not sure that worship is my first thought. There's times I can get really upset and disgruntled and messed up in my mind, in my heart. I need to learn from this lesson where they were mistreated, they were abused, they were suffering, and they worshiped. Even in this damp prison, there's no running water, there's no sewage, and you know things happen. The stank in the place is terrible. The darkness of it, the shackles, the bleeding back, the bruised rods that beat them. This picture is quite difficult really to grasp and they worshiped. Worship centers us and brings about a release of what God wants to do. Worship brings release. We let go of pain and we let go of hindrances. We let go of bitterness when we worship. If I'm messed up in my mind, even about God, like I can get mad at God. I don't get you, God. I don't think that that's a big problem for him. He can handle that. And when I get past my own humanity and realize that he's there for me and that he's not the cause of my pain. He's the, he's the one who's going to redeem me from my pain. He's the one that's going to be with me even in the midst of pain, but he's going to deliver me from it. He's the answer to my problem, not the cause of it. There is a cause, and I begin to realize there's a, an evil one, a devil that's against me all day long, and this world is not my home, and this is a messy place. Jesus is always there for me. He's prepared a perfect place and a perfect body for me. And when I can center myself in worship, I can begin to see that he is the amen. He's the beginning and the end, and he's everything in between. And I can begin to see him all over again, and he brings release when I worship him. Worship pulls you out of the darkness. The jailer rushes in and calls for a light. Worship brought about the darkness being turned into light. Worship is our response to trouble, praising instead of protesting. It's really important for us always in our life to be searching the scriptures for the principles of God. We're looking for direction. Sometimes we develop some opinions that are really not biblical. They're genuine opinions and we get confused by the world we are living in and the things that people say and the people we listen to and there's so many voices. We need to keep coming back to the scriptures. Worship is our response to trouble, praising instead of protesting. I've had a hard time reading any place in the scripture where I'm instructed to protest. I see a lot of places where I'm instructed to worship, where I'm instructed to love. What do you do with your enemy? Love them, pray for them, do good to them. Jesus tells a story of a Roman soldier putting a burden on a passerby and Roman soldiers in the law had the right in the law to ask anybody coming by, by to take their pack and carry it for a mile. That was part of the law. Some, you come across a Roman soldier like, hey, or take my pack, go a mile with me. Carry my burden. You have to, it's the law. And Jesus said, that's fine. But when you get to the end of that mile, 
Don't give it back. Keep carrying it and say, if you need them to go another mile, I'll go a second mile with you. Go the second mile. That's where that concept, it's a Jesus concept. That when the, the world and when the law is saying, I'm demanding this of you, we want to say, you can't. And Jesus said, sometimes they can. And when the law is what it is, do that and then do more. Go a second mile. We get more in the mindset of demanding our rights instead of thinking, how can I help somebody else? How can I serve you? How can I let the message of Jesus be shared in everything that I do? I can't make this about me all day long. In the world we're living in now, if people look at the church as the place that everybody demands their rights all day long, we are missing the message. And we're not carrying the messenger with us into the marketplace. Here we are flogged, here we are beaten, here we are of no rights of the, of the enemy to even do this to us. And Paul and Silas are like, let me just worship. Let me just praise him. Let me just exalt him. And what happens? Some stuff happens. Worship is our response to trouble. Praising instead of protesting. Worship impacts other people. Worship impacts other people. It impacted all the rest of the prisoners. They listened and they stayed. I still have a hard time in my mind figuring that one out. All the prisoners stayed. They didn't leave. Worship impacts other people. When people see the genuineness of our faith, that we're willing to help others. When we see the spirit of Jesus who came to serve, not to be served, when he gave himself as a ransom for many, when I deserve the penalty and he says, let me take that on myself so you don't have to. And he tells us how we can serve others too. I want to get the principles of the spirit of Jesus in my life and see how that plays in the day we're living right now. This is a crazy day we're living. How can I represent his principle, represent his spirit, let people know that I care about him and I care about them? How can I serve this city so that people will want to know who the one I'm talking about is? Because worship, it impacts other people. That's why we're going to go to the Capitol at Christmas time and worship. We're not going there to protest. There have been far too many of those that aren't found in the scriptures as principles to do against whatever it is we want to protest against. Instead, we're going to go and worship. Worship influences other people. Worship sets the captive free. Worship causes the rocks to cry out. Worship causes the shackles to fall off. Worship causes the people in charge to go, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that to you. I'm sorry I did that to you. Not because we demanded it, but because we love them, because we give ourselves its principles out of God's word that we're looking for to lead us and to guide us so that our testimony can touch another soul, so that that jailer can come to know Jesus and his whole household, so that the next person in the community goes, man, those people are different. How can I receive what they have? Worship impacts other people. It opens things up. Those truly converted, verse 34 tells us, then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He rejoiced. Worship brings about joy. When somebody is really free, it fills us with joy. Filled with joy means we have 
something so in us that it may even involve movement. It may even involve jumping and leaping and dancing and praising God. Hey, I get my, my person. That's not my personality. But when I see someone else jumping and leaping and praising God, I, I translate that to go, man, they really know what they've been saved from. They had such an experience with Jesus. They got so excited. They rejoiced so much in who God is in their life that they just express it. If somebody wants to do that, so be it. We have the freedom to let the joy re be released. Worship, it, it will touch other people. So we need to worship and be still. Wait and see what God will do. He will. Worship brings about a God movement. Worship and wait. Worship and be still. Worship and see God move the earth. Worship and see the shackles fall off. Worship and see the healing come. Worship and see souls saved. Worship and see the miracle and the breakthrough. Worship is the centering place. And God will move out from there and change the world. Father God, we pray for your help today in understanding you and your word in our place in the world. Touch us with your spirit, with understanding. I pray, God, that your grace will cover us today in a beautiful, marvelous way. If you need his grace to cover you, just believe him for it. Pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I know I have sinned. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Wash me. I want to follow you. I want to learn what you're like so I can follow you. That's my confession today in Jesus' name. Amen.